assegnato il numero 25 Domenico Benardi so obviously we went with Asaswolo intro this time round after we were there last weekend what a weekend it was a brilliant weekend we were watching Asaswolo against Inter I mean, from a neutral perspective, you'd think that Inter were home this time round. We yeah, there, were, <laughs> there were no Sassuolo fans. I don't think they exist. And we'll talk about why um, later on. We have an episode coming out with our good friend Luke Mintoff. Um, I think we'll be recording it this weekend. This weekend. We're calling it a yeah. special, guys. So yeah, it's going to be a special. The first Serie A spotlight special. But this goal in particular was in a 3-3 thriller against Juventus last season. Berardi made the 3-2 here with a lovely free kick on the right-hand side. It's where he's best, man. Yeah, kind of a late bloomer. He started his senior career with Sassuolo, playing 37 games and scoring 11 goals. This was back in 2012. Um, he was picked up by Juventus for two seasons and loaned out back to Sassuolo, who redeemed him again. Since then, he has scored 58 goals in 182 games. Mimmo! He has 20 appearances for the national team and has 5 goals. Mimmo! So, hello and welcome to Serie A Spotlight. I'm your host, Jake. And Matt. We're your hosts, sorry, it's democracy over here. (laughs) Thank you very much. We are co-hosts, yes. 100%. So, remember... I'm the older brother. Whatever, man. But remember to follow us at Serie A Spotlight on Twitter, Instagram, and anywhere you're on, really, we might be there, so just and check. hopefully in the near future, YouTube, I'm putting you out on the spot so you can actually get down to doing it. That is your platform to post us on. I haven't even posted a single one, guys, but I'll get on it, I promise. Then you can watch our logo. Yeah, and listen for, to for us. one hour. <laughs> you can just watch our logo on the screen. Bro, this was a crazy, crazy weekend of Serie A football. And I'm not just saying that because it was elevated through our endorphins being heightened in yeah. Italy. <laughs> but it was actually crazy, man. We saw a lot of goals. We saw great yeah. performances by key players. What did you think of it? I thought it was spectacular. We had thrillers, we had derbies, we had everything. Yeah, we had yellow cards, a lot of Red yellow cards, cards good around. saves, good goals, everything. So I think we should get into it. Yes, it started between Cagliari and Venezia. We're stuck at a stalemate at 1-1. What did you think of that game? So Cagliari and Venezia hadn't faced off since February 2000. Venezia lost their first encounter with the Sardinians in 1966, but then went undefeated in five with three wins and two draws. Where the fuck would you now, have Now, of course, they have, they have three draws. Jesus. Yeah, these stats. I just know them. I've been around for a while. <laughs> of course, um, 1-1, 19th minute, Keita Balde with a goal and assist from Martin Caceres. And in the 92nd minute... Um, Gianluca Buzio with an assist from Dan Heymans. It took a massive deflection of Martin Caceres, of course. So obviously, Caceres from hero to zero over here, of course. I mean, it wasn't exactly his bat. He threw himself in front of the ball, which is what every player would like to do to defend the goal of their team. But obviously, that that did cost Cagliari a little bit as Venezia found 1-1 and Venezia get another point. Yeah, um, I thought that Marin Nandes... Caceres and Keita linked up very well on the goal and they showed a little bit of what they can do because Marin drives so well. Marin gets forward really well. He's such a good player. Um, I think, you know, they they are underachieving as always. We, we've said this a million times. They're last, they dude. Yeah. They're, they are are they last. last? They're last. Ooh, they are last with ooh, three ooh. points. That's shocking. I did not expect to see that. I forgot that Salernitana got their first win. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, yeah, like you were saying, Marin, Nandes and Caceres linked up really well. So Marin brought the ball forward. Nandes played the ball out wide. Caceres whipped it in and Balde scored a fantastic header over there. So that lasted pretty much for the entirety of the game. That was scored in the 19th minute and Buzi only managed to score in the 92nd. But... We can't say it wasn't coming. Venezia were pressing pretty high up at this point. They were. Venezia looked pretty good. I think they looked better than Cagliari for the vast majority of the of the game. Um, we saw Jonsen hitting the bar later on, of course, Marin hitting the bar too. I didn't like Okareka. He was actually okay. subbed off at halftime for Henri, so of course the, 
the feeling is shared with Paolo Zanetti. Yeah, I don't think uh, he should be leading the line for them. I don't think he should be filling in that number nine role. I like him coming on uh, as a secondary striker, perhaps even yeah. replacing Henri as a, as a number nine, maybe even playing out wide. He's got some good pace on him. I prefer him out wide, personally. 100%. I don't yeah. like seeing him in front of goal too often because yeah. it's not his forte. Finishing is not his forte. But being, you know, a, a flashy, fast, quick player is his forte. So maybe we'll see him do better things off the wing. Yeah, um, Ampadu had another start over here. He played pretty well, to be honest. Jonsson was good as always. Buzio is their star player, I would say. Um, he's so good in the midfield. Yeah, Buzio Buzio's pivotal for this Venezia side. He's absolutely wonderful in that midfield. Uh, one thing I would like to point out that obviously, like we mentioned last time round, in a game like this, both teams absolutely need the three points. It's yeah. a fight at the bottom of the table and if either of them wants survival, they're going to need to win the game. Here they both pick up a single point and just to paint the perspective for you, it's so tight at the bottom that sixth place are only seven points ahead of 18th. That's crazy, you know, and it's true. We have seen many of these um, lower team matches and as draws. Yeah, we have been. Yeah, especially the, you know, the relegation favourites when they play each other. It's typically ending in a draw, which is not um, great to see. Well, it is, it is actually great to see because it's going to prove to be a competitive ending to the league. Yeah, least. it's never, no one in Italy, one thing I like is barely anyone ever settles for a draw unless it's a David versus Goliath situation. Yeah. Uh, so we see both teams just banging at each other and banging at each other until they manage to get that win. And that is the theme of this match day, as you'll see soon. Venezia have become the 30th side that João Pedro has faced in Serie A. The Brazilian has scored against 26 of them. Only Jesus. Luigi Riva has scored versus more sides for Cagliari, and that is 28. That's fucking unbelievable like i yeah. think ronaldo had a stat in um, la liga that he scored against every single team in la liga on like his fifth or sixth year at real so that Oof. is impressive playing yeah, with he's Calgary. been he's been in the game for a while Joao pedro he's been you know he's a favorite of ours over here yeah 100 percent. but i i definitely still think that Joao pedro does deserve a bit of a bigger move one thing i don't want to see is Cagliari getting relegated and Joao pedro joining a newly promoted team or maybe someone towards the bottom of the Serie A table i think he's a big caliber striker and i think he deserves a big caliber team yeah um i don't know about big caliber team because let's look at the teams that he'll possibly start at okay Anyone in the top seven? Pooh, not no, but he could. You know, when you see the top seven now, especially with the Conference League coming into play, you do see a lot of squad rotation. And I think João Pedro, for example, could be a great substitute for Chiro Mobile, for example, or for Tammy now, Abraham. Nowadays, probably actually right with Muri either. Yeah. Um, but I think Shomorodov is a hotter striker. You know, people don't want João Pedro because he's not a flashy name. You know, he's not. He's not a, a franchise player. Yeah, the stats do speak for themselves, though, and I think he, he contributes a lot of assists as well. We saw him contribute an Definitely. assist against Alar Milan as well. Yeah. But the next game and then was between another two teams that seem to be struggling this season. As Salernitana managed to get their first three points against Genoa. Yeah, this was a weird one. Because um, Salernitana lined up with a 4-3-1-2. They started with Gondo and Simi up front and Ribéry behind them. Mm -hmm. um, Genoa played 3-5-2. They returned back to their 3-5-2 formation after playing their 4-2-3-1 against Hellas, Bologna and Fiorentina. Now, <clears throat> in this game, we could see Salernitana pressing Genoa, who like to build from the back, um, with Cresciuto and Bani, of yep. course. And they were quite successful, to be honest. They gave them quite a few problems. There are no real rollover games this season there's no Crotone there's no Benevento yeah, you know there are no true. teams that are going to roll over for anyone everyone is fighting that's true 100% and we did definitely see a fight in this game I think there were attempts from both ends I think both Belek and Sirigu had a lot to do and they yeah. both had great performances they were both fantastic 100% and this game was basically separated um, through a Jurich header in the 66th minute it was a fine header from a corner, from, right? I believe so. 
Yeah, it was um, Grigoris Castonos who gave the <laughs> okay. corner. Yeah, what, what was interesting about this corner is that, um, you know, Durić scored, of course, um, he's 198 centimeters tall. Um, Ekuban was marking him, he is 188 centimeters okay. tall. So that might have not been a good idea. But at the end of the day, who are you going to put on this guy? You know, Salernitana have two six foot six strikers at their yeah. disposal in Simi and um, Durić. Yeah, what I liked in this game as well was, you know, Ravella? Yeah. He had a great... Fa- you remember the Fabio Aurelio goal in the Champions League through the free kick against Chelsea, where he went to Czech's near post when he anticipated the cross. Yeah, that was lovely. He went for the exact same thing, and it was a fantastic save as well, but I thought it was so cheeky and it was so clever. Yeah. But apart from that, I thought Di Tacchio had a very good game. Yeah, 30. the captain. Yep. 31-year-old, he came on for Lassana Koulibaly in the 38th minute, who went off injured. And that leads us to the conversation of the amount of injuries we saw for Genoa. Yeah, um, Crescito got injured. Destro pulled up in the warm-up. Um, they're not having a great time. We Van saw Huyzen, what happened. Caicedo, Beraski, Cassata, a whole yeah. load of guys. We saw what happens when they're not at full strength. They lost 4-0 to Inter and they made Hakan Chalanoglu look good. So, <laughs> so hopefully they can get their shit together. Um, only during the 1947 and 1948 campaign have Salernitana and Genoa faced off in Serie A, Whoa. with Salernitana winning both meetings, 4-1 and 3-1. Okay. So history might actually repeat itself after all. Here's their third win, man. That takes them out from last place into 18th place. Not too sure where they'll go from there, but it's definitely a step up from being last. Genoa stuck at 16th with five points. It's tight at the bottom. Yes, sir. The next game was the Derby della Mole, which saw Torino hosting Juventus. This is a huge rivalry, of course. It is named after the Mole Antonelliana, a major landmark in Turin. It's like a a statue or a monument or some shit, no? Yes, it is. Now, the match ended 1-0 to Juventus, of course, with an 85th minute goal coming from Locatelli. Um, this was probably the hottest Derby della Mole in the last 10 years because Torino have been rubbish. They've been abysmal and this year Juric has given them some, you know, some structure. Yeah, and they did perform very well over here. To be honest, with, when watching the game, I couldn't separate the two in the beginning. Yeah. It was the, you know, the experience of Juve that took them and, and the extra quality of Juve that took them over the line at the end through a Chiesa assist and a Locatelli goal. Yeah, just the options of the bench as well and the lack of striking options for Torino to actually make the difference, you know, with Bellotti and Zaza sidelined. Um, it is only Sanabria over there. And um, by the way, this was the first time that Juventus and Torino have met with the same amount of points, eight, okay. since October 2015. Oh. And it was a 2-1 win for the old lady, of course, back then. All right. And <laughs> while we're on the topic of history, this was the 99th win for Juve in the Derby della Mole. The sev- uh, Torino have won it 73 times and they have drawn on 62 occasions. <laughs> so, yes, of course, um, Bonucci and Quadrado were sidelined for this one. Um, Morata and Chiesa were injured, so Keane got his chance up top. Um, and Locatelli got his second goal in Juve Colors. It was a great finish from him and we could see what it meant from, you know, he's been shooting a lot. He's been, he's been having it quite a bit from, from outside the area. Yeah. He's been getting into those opportunities. He's pretty good there. He's, he's improving. I mean, that would be one of the reasons Juve looked to sign him up. I think it's one of the reasons that Mancini preferred him over Verratti towards the beginning of the Euros. It's his ability to go forward, but obviously Verratti's quality took him over the line a little bit over there. Yeah, of course, and the fact that Verratti can, you know, play a big match without really overthinking it because he's played so many while Locatelli yeah. is still relatively new to the scene of course 100% well Locatelli did have those two goals in a single game as well in the in the Euros so it, it's yeah. no secret that the guy is good going forward as well he had a cracker of a goal against Juve once in the Milan colours um, in my opinion for Torino here they were having a lot of shots from just outside the area uh, Chesney was comfortably saving a lot of them and this to me could be the start of Chesney building up his confidence again because teams would be pinpointing how they should be having shots from outside the area to try shock Chesney because he hasn't been on tip top form but he has been collecting a lot of them from distance because a lot of them weren't convincing strikes so this could be the beginning of Chesney rising up to the top again of course yeah um, being mentally 
confident. Just being confident is yeah. so important, especially, especially for a goalkeeper. For a goalkeeper yeah. um, so, you know, maybe getting a few saves here and there will actually help him out. That's a good point. Um, what I noticed is how Juve change when Cuadrado enters. Yeah, no, 100%. I think he's, he's such an offensive right, but whether you put him in right back, right wing, he's going to, you know, cause havoc upon any left back in the league. Um, I think Juve were finding a pocket of space each time between Mandragora, Pobega and the defence. I think they yeah. found a lot of space over there where Locatelli was very handy. And I do think that Aina, as good as he is and as great as he was in this game, I think him going forward did cause that a little bit. He was yeah. caught out slightly while going forward. Maybe they need to adapt to covering for him. Yeah, that, could be, that could be it. Um, Torino fought hard and well and I think they deserved something I think they deserved at least a point from this one but that's the cruelty of football and the beauty of derbies to be honest because it is happy it is a good thing that um, derbies are unpredictable no 100% and to be honest I think at the end of the day Juve did edge them a little bit I think if three points had to go anywhere they would go to Juve um, although a draw seemed very likely at this point as well That is Juve's third win in a row Taking them up to 7th place on 11 points Look how quickly they rose up again Torino in 11th with 8 points In one of the first episodes I told you that soon they'll start winning in the typical Allegri yeah, way Yeah, 1-0 you know, one, I said 1-0 to 1 back then but They've been a little bit more high scoring lately to be honest But this was one of the first ones where they won, you know, 1-0 clean sheet convincing you know, well, Typical still, Allegri style Yeah, still a one goal difference in those games though Two, three twos on the trot, that's very difficult to yeah. say And then a 1-0 and then as well, so... A one goal difference is is kind of what they're doing yeah. at the moment. But they're right there, you know. Juve are there. They have eleven points. Fourth has fifteen, and seeing Atalanta with their injuries lately, and you know Rome and Lazio with their inconsistencies, maybe maybe it is Juve after all. Yeah, no, they 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 will definitely compete. They will definitely compete. It's no secret. It's just yeah. could they go over the line? Yeah, we'll wait. And see, of course, and we can move on to the next game. Oh, wow. I wonder what happened in this one. Sassuolo 1, Inter 2. So we don't want to talk too much about the live experience, of course. As we mentioned, um, we'll be recording a new podcast specifically for that this weekend. Uh, you'll hear all about it then. But let's get into the specifics. So Sassuolo and Inter have only ever drawn twice in their 16 Serie A encounters. Both sides had each won seven matches. Now, of course, eight, seven for Inter. They had each won four games um, at the Mape Inter 5. Now, of course, Sassuolo really are Inter's bogey team. Oh, definitely, definitely. From those stats you can tell and I think from previous performances as well by Sassuolo against Inter, they do tend to rise to the occasion against them. Yeah, they always give them a hard time, always. Even this time, you know, 22nd minute, Berardi with a penalty and he converts it. Now, I believe, yes, it was Jeremy Boga causing havoc. havoc. That guy is so yeah. skillful. Yeah, he does tend to hang on to the ball a bit too long. I think there were a couple of times where he could have released the pass a bit earlier, but he won the penalty and Mimmo converted. Um, which, you know, the three supporters in the stadium very much enjoyed. Yeah, um, he scored it under the curva, of course. Um, Inter looked like they were the home side and it seemed to hype him up. You know, the more they booed him, the more they looked at him, the more they, you know, sang against him. Yeah. It's like the more fired up he got and you could tell how much it meant to him. Definitely. You could tell from each corner he was taking, he was taking his sweet time while they were booing yeah. him, just walking up onto it. So in the 58th minute, Zeko scored an assist by Perisic and in the 78th minute, um, Alautaro Martinez penalty. But before we get to that part of the game, at the end of the first half, there was a little bit of drama, right? Um, I believe it was Handanovic who came rushing out to Defrel, who was one-on-one, -on -one, and there was a collision between them. Yep. But VAR did not ask the referee to intervene and the penalty was not given. What do you think of that? I think Defrel could have stayed on his feet. Definitely, I agree. I think he could have stayed on his yeah. feet. I think there was a shout for a foul because there was contact. There but, was. And Defrel was going at certain pace as well. But it's definitely not enough to, you know, send Handanovic off or anything of the sort. I think those shouts were a bit hopeful. And I think Defrel could have done much better over there. I think he did look for the foul. Yeah, he, he definitely did. He thought to himself at that point, probably, you know, I can get my team a penalty, go 2-0 up and have their goalkeeper no, sent it, off. No, it was even outside oh, the outside box. Outside the though. box, yes, yeah. sorry. I could get their goalkeeper sent off. 
get you know Radu or Cordas on yeah. <laughs> and play against a 10-man Inter that would have been ideal for them but um, Handanovic was very good to raise his arms even yeah. though his elbow did make contact with Defrel's face but you know the referee saw that and he was like you know he put his arms up he didn't make contact no, there was absolutely nothing malicious. He didn't stick a leg out or, or make you know any attempt at at obstructing the frell. Um, the frell looked for it a hundred percent, and and I don't think it's fair to be to be calling for those in order to get your team a point. Definitely. Now it's crazy how you know football works that the exact same scenario was mirrored and happened again later on in the game yep. with a different outcome, of course. Yeah. Um, Consili rushed out, in my opinion. He shouldn't have rushed out. No, definitely. I absolutely adore Consigli, but it it wasn't great goalkeeping in that scenario. He's normally, you know, an 8 out of 10 goalkeeper, but he did make a mistake over there and it did cost his team. And his decision making is typically one of his strong points. So it was very Mm -hmm. surprising to see him rush out like that when it looked like Kirikes and Ferrari, you know, they were... They were keeping up with Zeko. Yeah, it seemed like they had it under control. Um, on that point, I think that the substitution, taking out Correa and bringing on Zeko, was the, the, the turning point in this game. I think Zeko is so pivotal to this Inter side and, and he needs to be starting games. I know he's a bit on the older side now, but he needs to be starting these games. Yeah, definitely. But it was a yellow card anyway for for Consili and Lautaro scored the penalty to the Curva's delight. Um, speaking about the momentum shift in the second half, um, I think that big teams benefit from the five substitution rule way more than small teams. And I know it's not a genius thing to point out, but it was exceptionally obvious this time. You know, We saw Raspadori, Scamacca and Traore coming on for Sassuolo. Um, Dionisi didn't even trust to bring on Scamacca earlier. He brought him on in the 85th. So in yeah. reality, they had two substitutions. Meanwhile, um, Simone and Zaghi opted for Vidal, Zeko, DiMarco, Darmian and D'Ambrosio Jesus, all in the second man. half. They're all very good players. And it's all so very aggressive. Yeah. And, and at that point in the game from the 60th minute onwards where legs are starting to get tired, minds are starting to get exhausted as well. It's that aggression that could take them over the line. I think Vidal was excellent as well. DiMarco was very good. All these guys were great after they came on. And... One thing I'd like to point out as well is that Chalnoglu was booed off by the Inter Yeah, fans. he was. <laughs> he was <laughs> the fans around us were getting so frustrated yep. with Chalnoglu. No, he know. was not good. He simply was not good in that game. Not good at all. I can't point out one thing and say, wow, he did great there. Yeah, I can't believe that match day seven, you know, and they're already booing him off. When, yeah. you know, they, they were it's so not, happy during that Genoa yeah, game. It's, it's not great by the Inter fans either. I think they need to, they need to be a bit patient with him. It's seven games in. He's, he's yeah. showed them that he is somewhat capable in certain games. So just give the guy some time. You don't need to boo him off the pitch. Go on your blog and write something about him. There's no need to fucking make his life a mess, man. Yeah, at least you can separate, you know, social media and reality. But at this point, they're the same hellish nightmare. Um, his his set pieces are very good though, of course. Um, his corners, his free kicks. At one point, he had a, a free kick over the top to Dumfries, and he yeah. squared it. That was that was lovely. Um, yeah, no, he does have good moments in him, Hakan. But you, you do not simply sign a player for a, a couple of good moments either. But Inter obviously convincing third place now. Um, Sassuolo, on on the other hand, are in. I don't know, man. Where are they? Sassuolo are currently in 14th, 14th with 7 points, yes. 14th. And man, one thing I'd, I would like to discuss with you is, we've pointed out obviously the the obvious, you know, loss of Locatelli, the obvious loss of Ciccio Caputo, the obvious loss of De Zerbi as well. Yeah. But what, what could Sassuolo do with this team, with this manager? What could they do to get better? So I think the first thing they should have done is chosen one of Scamacca or Raspadori to keep and bring in maybe a more decorated, a more experienced striker to you know lead the charge, lead the line. Kind of like what Bologna did with Arnautovic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they do need someone there. They, they need a reference point because their, their build-up play is so good and they can get there, but they need someone to put it in. And you can't rely on youth to get you the final product unless you have world beaters. But in reality, you know, Raspadori... And Skamaka aren't quite ready. They've 
they've barely had half a good season so far. Yeah, and Raspadori is kind of losing the crowd now, I think. Yeah, he was apparently celebrating the Inter victory because, of course, he's a well-renowned Inter fan and he actually got fined by the club, apparently. Jesus Christ, man. Um, We're going to be seeing Skamaka starting, yeah. I can guarantee you that, man. The, the, the problem with these two, in my opinion, is that they each bring one quality to the team. It's not an all-rounded, like Jake mentioned, uh, Arnautovic, who brings you the pace, he brings you the power, he brings you the strength, he brings you the heading. It's almost like Arnautovic divided into two. So you have the pace and the flair with, you know, Raspadori, and then you have the height and the strength with Skamaka. But you give Raspadori a header and he's not going to make it. You give Skamaka a ball at his feet and maybe he'll make it, but not too often. Yeah, and the thrill seems to be... Pretty good, except for that final product, which is extremely frustrating. That, that, that is where Sassuolo yeah. suck, exactly. though. That's <laughs> where they suck. The frill is Caputo without eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh, but yeah, I, I get you. He's not the brightest, uh, you know, in front of goal. Um, but yeah, we were in, in Modena watching this game. We were staying in Bologna. And it's crazy to think we could have been in Bologna Stadium watching Bologna beat Lazio 3-0. That would have been crazy, by the way, what a segue, what a transition, well done. You're welcome. Um, Bologna 3, Lazio 0. Mental, mental, we've been talking about Bologna's shaky defence and how that could be their problem. Turns out the solution was on their bench this entire time. <laughs> the beast that is. Theater. <laughs> How do you pronounce his name? Is it Theat? Theat. I, I, I think Theat. that's the way. I think, let, let's say it like that, I don't yeah. think anyone would make the fun of us. Belgian. My yeah. God, a goal and an assist for him. Yeah, and a goal on his debut too. This is this is crazy. You know, the guy's on two goals. Yeah, no. Yeah, he. So Theat had a great ball to Barrow, who obviously gave a, an unstoppable finish over there. And Theat did score on his debut, and now he has scored on his first start as well. But he was totally unmarked in that corner routine. I think yeah. Acherbi was nearest to him, but there was a bit of zonal marking going yeah. on there. Did skim his head, and Theat was really. God, Thiat yeah, yeah. was there running in and he did manage to get that all vital touch. And then a personal favourite player of mine, um, Hickey, Aaron Hickey, the young Scotsman, left back of course, he scored in the 68th minute and what a goal that was, assist by Musa Barrow. Musa Barrow, one goal and two assists in this game. Yep, I think Reina could have been better in that goal, but brilliant work yeah. by Hickey nonetheless. Yeah. So looking at this game, you might think, what the hell is going on? Bologna 3, Lazio 0, you know. But I think there's a fair explanation. Of course, it doesn't justify a 3-0 loss to Bologna. But um, Lazio were the team in Europe with the fewest days off. They had three days. Bologna had a full week, of course. Lazio looked really heavy and lethargic. They looked tired, okay? In fact, um, Sarri gave his team a 48-hour break after this game. They have two days off. That's it. Relax. You have to feel bad for them. They haven't had the easiest fixtures either. And and then only three days to rest between matches. And you're supposed to be training in those. I don't think it's, it's very fair. Um, they also had Immobile injured. He's very important to them, of course. We saw Muri. He, Fuck he me. continues it, to, to me, disappoint. It's, uh, it's obviously terrible to lose Immobile, who is, you know, their best player and one of the best strikers. But no, the best striker in Italy for years on end. It's mm-hmm. one thing to lose him, but it's another thing replacing him with Muriki. I, I, uh, bro, I don't like him. He has two goals in 42 appearances for Lazio. They had captain clutch, Felipe Caicedo, of course, the Ecuadorian. He's at Genoa now, 33 years old. Um, Murigi is a 27-year-old cause of a national who joined, I think it was last year. Or it was last year and they were, they were 20 looking million at... 20 euros. Yeah, they were, they were looking at... at um, Zuba. At Zuba, Zuba at, yeah. at the time, and they decided to get Moriki instead. I would have preferred Zuba myself. Yeah, but, you know, Sarri even defended him. He said he was good for his system. Everyone defended him. They kept him there. They made the active decision to send Caicedo away and to keep Moriki. And I'm sure that Lazio fans are not happy about that at all. Um, 
Sarri is the first ever Lazio manager to fail to keep a clean sheet in six games oh, in the first wow, six man. games of the season at the three wow. points. I wouldn't even game. have I wouldn't even have realized that. But obviously that is the sign of a new system coming into play. Yeah, yeah I don't there's, think it's anything there's, too bad. Yeah, I don't think you know they normally play a three at the back. They're playing a four in the back now. Um, I think one thing to point out as well, like they they are obviously missing Immobile, but they're missing Lazzari as well. I think Lazzari, apart from being a good right back nowadays. He also has some flair to him, much like the quadrado effect. He does go forward, he does get yeah. assists, he does get goals. We saw at the beginning of the season, we saw that in the last season as well. Marisic, obviously, replacing him, doing a semi-decent job, but obviously would be would be great to have Lazzari at full fitness. He was introduced later on during the game. Yeah, he was. He was but of but course, it was too late by then. A hundred, a hundred percent. Um, I think Theat, as we mentioned, is great news for Bologna fans who must have been devastated by Tomiasu's departure to Arsenal. Um, but I think they they must be happy with this guy. Very good player. Yeah, they'll be very happy with this guy. They'll be even happier with the result, especially, you know, the, there were rumours saying that, you know, Mihailovic's job is hanging on the line in this game and obviously it's it's not a great game to, <laughs> you know, judge your manager on, especially against Lazio. But he got the job done. He got the job done very convincingly. 3-0, Bologna 9th on 11 points. Lazio remains sixth on it also eleven points. One thing that was interesting about this as well was Barrow, you know, previously stating that he wanted to play closer to goal, and Mihailovic had even before that slated Barrow's efficiency in front of goal. In fact, bringing in Arnautovic and not viewing um, Barrow as a striker, saying he's better as a winger, he's better out wide. This is an interesting situation, you know. Um, I wonder if Barrow can do this consistently. He's proven to be quite inconsistent at times, but if he can consistently put out performances like this he'll be yeah. he'll be fine um, towards the end of the game of course frustration kicked in um, Acherbi got a red card for you know complaining too much to the referee after he was fouled and then it looked like he flipped someone the bird um, I'm not sure who but he receives a two game suspension it's funny because it looked like he was apologizing while the ref was pulling out the red card, but too little too late. And his true colors did come out after when he, yeah, I think he gave the, the referee the bird over there. But obviously, probably technology will find out who exactly was giving the bird to, but not a good sign from him. For anyone confused as to what the bird means, that's the middle finger. Now moving on, Hellas Verona for Spezia nil. Yes, sir. So it was two door once again against Motta. Um, I think what we're seeing from Hellas now is that they've got a, a lot of versatility when it comes to who's scoring the goals. This time around, it was Simeone again through an Illich assist. Uh, very early on in the game, that was in the fourth minute. Very early on still, the second goal in the 15th minute. It was a lovely goal by Faraoni. A great pass by Caprari over there. Faraoni looked like he was going to square the ball into the box, but went for a goal and scored. Caprari later on, still in the first half, scored a gorgeous curler after a Simeone assist. And then Bessa scored the fourth goal of the game in the 71st minute, making it 4-0 to Hellas Verona. With an Antonin Barak assist. Yes, this was a surprising game in my opinion. I thought this was one of the ones we were talking about, you know, um, a relegation six-pointer potentially. Yeah. I was expecting a Spezia to put up more of a fight, but of course they didn't have any midfield, any of their starting midfielders available, um, with Majora out, and I believe Verde was forced to play in centre mid and Podgoriano as well in a three-four-three. Of course, they have Majora, Salah, Kovalenko, and Erlich all out. Yep, and I think that what won Hellas this game was a great first half. Because I don't think that Hellas looked much better than they normally do. Yeah. And I think that Spezia still look dangerous. I think they could have had a couple of goals. I think there were a couple of good saves by Montepo mm -hmm. as well. And Verde had a fantastic game. That left foot is unbelievable, man. Yeah, he's like a budget Suso. If <laughs> such a thing exists. Um, he's good. He has a great beard too. Um, one thing to mention as well is that Spezia in the first half were extremely... Wasteful Manash had a terrible miss. Um, yeah. Strelak, another crazy miss on a Verde cross. You know, they need to be decisive. And at the end of the game, Motta took responsibility. You know, but he he did say that his side was a little bit too wasteful. Yeah. Um, he's he's under fire now, Motta. Motta? The, yeah, he might be next. 
in the line. He might be the third coach to lose his job in Serie A this year. Yeah, it, it, it could very much be. Spezia are now in 19th place with four points, obviously one point away from bottom, which is where Cagliari are at at the moment. Uh, towards the end of the game, we also saw Bastoni got sent off for elbowing Illich in the ribs. Yeah, that was malicious, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was malicious. It wasn't the strongest hit I've ever seen. Uh, but, you know, it was a hit. It was malicious. And he did see a straight red card for that. Yeah, Mata said he was surprised by this. He said that Bastoni has always been a hard-working kind of professional who... Who doesn't like to, you know, um, participate in any yeah. unsportsmanlike conduct? Yeah, and he has been great this year as well for them. He's been pivotal down that left flank as well. He's contributed some assists. He, he's yeah. contributed well defensively. Um, but credit to Hellas as well. I mean, I, I did say that they weren't much better than they were in the previous fixtures. But it, it's you know, it's great to see them firing goals in for fun in this in this game. It's good to see their strikers having great performances as well. They've got, you know, replacements should Simeone have any slip-ups. They've also yeah. got Kalinic, who's on fire at the moment. So things are looking a bit better for Hellas at the and moment. And Caprari. Caprari's looked so good. You know, we see him, he's, he's kind of a jumper. He's always going from team to team. He, he's, he's really good, though. Um, and he played a really good game. Um, yeah. against, of course, Spezia with a goal and an assist. Fun fact, this is the first time that Motta has ever faced Hellas Verona, both as a coach and as a player. He only ever played at the Bentegodi once. My God, I can't say that word. <laughs> Bentegodi. Yeah, at the Bentegodi once um, against Kievo, who no longer exists, in a 1 0 win <laughs> for Genoa. Yeah, rest in peace, Kievo, the flying donkeys. I miss you. Yep, Hellas. Not too bad, 12th on 8 points. Spezia, on the other hand, 19th with 4 points. We'll see what's going to happen with Motta and we'll see what's going to happen with Spezia as well. On the next game, this was probably, apart from the Milan game, my favourite fixture yet. It was Sampdoria against Odinese, just two absolute animals ripping at each other <laughs> again and again and again. It was 3-3. I had no idea where this game was yeah. going to go by the end of it. Introduce us to it, Jake. So I have to say that coming into this match, I was not expecting a six-goal thriller. Samp had previously won each of their last five games against Udinese, their longest run against them since a nine-game winning streak back in between 1990 and 1997. Woof. Um, Samp had previously scored two-plus goals in seven of their last eight Serie A home games against Udinese. Now, yep, it's also very good to point out that Sampdoria were coming off two losses before this game. Udinese were coming off three losses in this game, so they were both very, very hungry for a victory here. Yeah, we saw, you know, how, where, where the hell do we even start? In the 15th minute, we saw a Pereira goal with a Deolafeu assist, nice to see those two linking up, you know, they're definitely the protagonists on this Udinese side when it comes to the offensive department. Yep, Audero had a good game, but he was a bit soft in this. It was a similar situation to the Brahim goal that we saw where the ball yeah. just seeped under him a little bit. I don't know what it is, but we do see him conceding these every now and again. Yeah, he's still he's still young. Um, he has time to grow, um, but you know he he makes one mistake like this and then he yeah makes two miraculous saves. You know, definitely. So the the potential is definitely there. In the twenty fourth minute, we saw a striker Larson on goal, an extremely lucky on goal. Yeah. You know, they struck the bar mm -hmm. and it just came to him. It hit him on the inside of his foot perfectly, and it just went in. He's so unlucky that guy at times. He definitely. even gave away a ridiculous penalty against me. It was great build up play by Sampdoria. Over here, we saw a lovely play from Qualiarella to Caputo, who played it to Kandreva. Kandreva hit the post, and then Stryger Larsen, poor guy, put the ball over his own net, very unfortunately. It was nice to see in the 43rd minute, Beto getting his first goal of the season. Um, you could see how disappointed he was when the ref called it off, but then, of course, they varred it, and it was called on, and he celebrated twice, which must have been <laughs> nice for him. 40th, 48th minute, we had a Qualiarella penalty, his first goal of the season. Um, in the 69th minute, one of the best goals I've ever seen by Kondreva. This, this will be, this. The, the, there are 31 games left, but this is the goal of the season. I can guarantee you that no one will hit a ball as sweet as that for the remainder of the season. What a goal by Kondreva. Mamma mia. I wouldn't want to play against this guy right now, the form he's in. He's in an inspired his, form. It's his third goal of the season. Fuck me, I don't know how many assists the guy has because he whips balls in for, for fun. Yeah, then in the 82nd minute, 
it was a Forestieri goal, um, a corner kick, I believe it was. Yeah, it was a corner. No, I think flicked yeah. it on. I, I'm not too sure if the ball is going slightly wider, if it was just on target. But Forestieri got that all important touch in the 82nd minute to put the ball over the line. Um, this was Vard as well, but it went through much to the delight of Odinese. And this wasn't the end of this thriller because chances were flying for both teams after the 82nd minute as well. It's great to point out, obviously, this was a six-goal thriller with nine yellow cards Ooh. in the entire game. Man. Yeah, I think a draw is a deserved result. You know, I don't think anyone deserved it particularly more than anyone else. But if I did have to pick one, I'd say Sampdoria maybe deserved it a little bit more. Yep, Sampdoria look more dangerous when they're attacking. Udinese, you know, they're great at keeping their shape. They're good going forward. Yeah. They're good defensively as well. Much, much too are Sampdoria, but I think Sampdoria have, have, you know, they've got the strikers and they've got the players. Um, you know, Udinese are only just replacing Pussetto with, with Beto. Um, he looks pretty dangerous over there, he Beto. Does. So He's rapid as well and yep. strong. That's a good sign for them. It's good to have Pussetto on the bench as well. He's a, he's a nice little jolly to bring on. It's also good seeing Forestieri getting a goal. He's had quite a decorated career, but at the bottom side of team. So he's played for Sheffield, he's played for Watford, he's played for Udinese. He was obviously involved in that. Forestieri! Hog! Dini! <laughs> So he's quite decorated, he's a decent player as well, so it's always good to see him racking up some goals. If you do not recognise that reference, it is Leicester against Watford in the Championship playoff to the Premier League. I recommend you watch that, it was a nice a nice moment. One of the nicest I've seen, to be honest, because they had just missed a penalty, Leicester, I believe, and yeah. it led to Watford's winning goal late at the end. Yeah, I'll, I'll be showing that to my kids one day, yeah. as, with, as with all you guys. Uh, so next game, Fiorentina 1, Napoli 2. Not an easy game at all for Napoli. Some might even say it was their toughest game to date, barring the Juve game. Yeah, probably. So this saw Vincenzo Italiano take on Luciano Spalletti at home. Fiorentina had previously lost four in a row, now five, of course, in their last six games against Napoli. There was one win and one draw. They also failed to find the net in four of these games. Only once in his managerial career has Spalletti remained unbeaten in his first seven games, and that was in 2017-2018 with Inter. He had six wins and one draw, so this is his personal best start to a, to a Serie, a campa- Serie A campaign ever. And that start does put Napoli seventh when it comes to winning streaks from the beginning of the campaign, with themselves and Juve hitting eight four times. Juve with 9 and then Roma with 10 straight victories in the 2013-2014 campaign. Yeah, so um, the first goal came in the 28th minute from Lucas Martinez Cuarta. It was a corner kick that that found Vlaovic who volleyed it to Lucas Martinez Cuarta who volleyed it home. It was a game of Germaniza. Yep, and a great finish by Cuarta as well. Yeah. In the 38th minute, Herving Lozano scored. Of course, um, Napoli got a penalty. Insigne missed it. Dragovski, the penalty specialist with the save, looking fresh with his new haircut yeah. this season, by the way. Um, he forced a double save by Dragovski, who must have been frustrated that his defenders never got to the first ball. And Lozano tapped it in. There was a bit of controversy. Um, Dragovski claimed he was fouled by Insigne, but um, VAR proved otherwise. Yep, I, I do think that in these situations, sometimes it's good to give the keeper the benefit of the doubt. He did make contact with the ball and contact was made with him after. Um, you know, he would have ended up on the ground nonetheless. He was diving across the goal. But it's interesting to see that decision being made. I think on any other day, you could see it going the other way around. Yeah, in the 50th minute, Amir Rahmani scored. Um, Napoli had a free kick. Um, Insigne looked like he was going to take it, but it was actually Piotr Zielinski who, you know, delivered an in-swinging ball. Um, Rahmani with the header. Um, it looked like Ozyman was going to get it at first, but Rahmani actually got to it before him yep. and gave Napoli the lead. Um, I'd like to talk about also Ozyman on the penalty, on the second goal, uh, I forgot okay. to mention. Uh, his vertical run across um, Quarta was beautiful, you know. That's what you want from your striker. He put him in a position where he had to foul him. And, to, and Quarta was lucky to only get a yellow in that situation. Yeah, he did seem like he was the last man. Uh, you know, he tried to get himself between Ozyman and the ball. He did take Ozyman's feet out when it comes to that. And they trampled over each other. So a, a clear penalty in my eyes. 
I also think that Torreira has looked very good for Fiorentina since returning. Um, Arsenal almost ruined him. Um, he was really good under Gianpaolo at Sampdoria in his breakout season. And he looks to be at his best again. Yeah, he's looking He's looking very good. He kind of controls the tempo for yeah. Fiorentina and then Bonaventura gives you some of that, of that oomph in the midfield. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good combination they've got going on. They were, you know, Napoli were the better side, but they were unfortunate to lose three points in this game. B-b-breaking news. Vlaovic is officially not renewing his contract. Um, he, in fact, might be sold in January and the bidding war might ensue. Um, this is very interesting. Yeah, it is, it is interesting. Uh, it was not exactly predictable, but, you know, he did choose to stay at Fiorentina over yeah. the summer where teams when teams were you know, offering big money for him. So it's interesting to see why he'd want to leave in the middle of a of a campaign when Fiorentina are actually doing very good and they're and they're in fifth place and you could even say that he's played a big part in that. Of course he has. He definitely has. Um I th- I look at the table right now and I look at the top teams that need a striker. Mm-hmm. And you know, I see quite a few. There's Juventus yeah. and Milan. I think they could both use a striker. I think they could both use him. Could they both pay his wages at the moment is probably probably the largest question that they'd have in mind. Yeah, it depends on what his requests are. If it's anything from like five to six million, I believe they might be able to pull something off, especially if it's on uh, bargain price, something like, you know, maybe... I can't see him going for anything under 30 million, even with six months left on his contract. I don't know. The the prices do seem to depreciate when it's six months away from the contract, you know, yeah. running out, uh, particularly because teams would have the leverage of saying, all right, then I guess we'll, we'll, we'll get him on a free if you yeah. won't give him to me at this price. So this is a good opportunity for a team that's in a better financial place than another team to pounce on. Um, In fact, looking at Milan, they're currently financially a little bit more stable than Juve. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, a little bit might be, you know, undermining the situation. (laughs) But um, I think they could totally use him. They should should move in for him. I think think any team would, you know, would use Vlaovic to the best of his abilities, barring, for example, Napoli, who have Ozymen as their striker, Atalanta, maybe with Duvan. But otherwise, I think he starts for most teams up up in that top seven. Dragovski got injured. You know, he was crying. He stayed on until the very end. But now the news has come out that he's out for six weeks. Yeah, he tore his quadricep, man. Yeah, that's horrible. That's horrific. So he's missing six weeks for both Napoli and Poland. So a bit fortunate for... Uh, whoa, Napoli. I mean, Fiorentina and, and Poland. So yeah. a bit fortunate for Fiorentina fans that some of those weeks would be missed for Poland rather than their squad. But still, um, a massive loss to a keeper who's been so great, particularly in this game with that double save from the penalty. But he's been so good and he's such a tough guy. I mean, he stayed on for the rest. Jake said he was crying, but he, he was standing on a torn quadricep for two minutes before the final whistle. So kudos to Dragovski. Yeah, um, another interesting thing I'd like to mention about Napoli is that they are going to be losing their spine for two months. Um, AFCON is approaching, um, Koulibaly, Anguissa and Ozymen oh, wow. will all be leaving for about two months. Do Napoli have the facilities to you know, hold their own in this period? They do have some players that can come on, like Demme, Lobotka, Elmas, Elmas yeah. for example. Um, is it enough? Could we see them drop points? Potentially, we could see them drop some points here and there. They're losing, you know, what is probably, possibly their, their strongest part of their team. Um, and they only have those players to, to replace them with. So we could see yeah. some action in the January market. Yeah, they have Manalas and Rahmani who totally hold the fourth. I wonder who the third choice would be. Um, they also have Peten- Petania and Mertens up front who should be able to cover. I think I think Mertens, I think people are sleeping on Mertens. He's coming back and, you know, he always scores. He always gets goals. He's a guy who knows how to score. He's Napoli's all-time highest leading goal scorer ahead of Diego Armando Maradona, of yeah. course. 
They they did sleep on him last year as well, and he had a great campaign last year. Mertens is simply a player you can't sleep on. I mean, we we're seeing a bit of a culture nowadays where strikers, especially in Italy, are playing out their careers. I definitely think that Mertens could be one of those strikers. He's like what thirty three, thirty four years yeah. old now, and we saw what he was capable of last season. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if he has the same impact. Definitely not. No. Uh, let's move on to the next one. We had Roma to Empoli nil. Jose Mourinho against Aurelio Andrea Zoli. Now, AS Roma had previously won each of their last five Serie A home matches, and they have now made it six in a row for the first time since February 2017 under Luciano Spalletti, who I've just spoken about, by the way. He likes to go on these crazy runs. <laughs> um, they went on a run of 15 games undefeated at home that season. Whoa. Now, another interesting thing about this game is that there's an anti-Roma machine on the Empoli team. Did you know this? No. There's Pinamonti. Now, Empoli striker Andrea Pinamonti had scored two goals in his last three Serie A meetings with Roma. Okay. He averaged a goal every 94 minutes coming into this game. His personal best ratio against any other side in Serie A. And I believe in the first five minutes, he got a good chance and he missed it. 10 minutes in, he got another chance and he missed it. 15 minutes in, he got another chance and he missed it. He was knocking, you know. But then, of course, in the 30th minute, he got injured and subbed off to Roma's relief. Not a bad record for the ex-Inter striker, but could have done better with a couple of them this time round. But he didn't. He didn't. Now, Ibanez and Veritu were rested for this one. Smalling and Darbo played in their stead. So, classic Pellegrini, he opened the scoring for Roma in the 42nd minute after a Mkhitaryan assist. It was a good finish by Pellegrini. In the he's four- back. He's back, baby. Um, obviously, he, he did miss the uh, Roma derby, the Rome derby, after he got a, a red card and he was suspended. But he's back now and obviously marking his return with a goal against Empoli, which is very nice. Yeah, that goal was really pragmatic. It, it was beautiful. Vertical play, like um, from defence to midfield to attack. Yeah, know? but it's, it's Jose Mourinho's side, so not surprised with that one at all. Um, in the 48th, Mkhitaryan scored after Tammy Abraham hit the crossbar with a bullet. After Henderson gave the ball away quite clumsily in the midfield. Abraham has struck the bar six times this season. He My even God. tweeted about it. <laughs> what yeah, is he it? He said, like, someone needs to change the, the goalpost, basically, because I can't hit it. You know, he's oh, extremely yeah, frustrated. He should, you know, he should fix his finishing a bit <laughs> rather than them changing the, the rules for him. But one thing I realized about Abraham is that he is very persistent for the entire 90 minutes. Yeah. And once a defender is getting tired, they must be very pissed off about that. Yeah, for sure. He's a very willing striker. He's eager. He wants to score. I thought Empoli were good. I thought Empoli were the better team to start out with. I thought Di Francesco looked very lively and has looked very lively lately. Um, 20-year-old Darbo for Roma, who put in a shift instead of Veretout, showed promising signs, but it's still hard to see him breaking into the the side as of yet, of course. The competition is is brutal. Yeah, the 20-year-old did a decent job in that game. Obviously, um, nothing in particular to, to point out. He played the ball well, he tackled well. But, I mean, they had to they had to rest a couple of players with Inter coming up next week. Certainly, and they were quite successful in doing so, collecting all three points at the end of the day, convincingly. You know, clean sheet is always convincing. Yeah. Um, this is the fifth win for Roma, and they sit fourth. How long will they sit fourth for? I have no idea. We will wait and see. Moving on to the final game, Atalanta 2, Milan 3. What a game. What a performance by Milan, man. Yeah, this scoreline is a little bit misleading, by a little bit, I mean very, because Milan had Atalanta figured out throughout the majority of the game. They were even 3-0 up. Atalanta liked to play a high-press man-on-man marking system. Um, And Milan countered this by switching positions very frequently, you know. So we often saw Calabria running down the middle, Tonali drifting back as a right-back or as a left-back even. We saw players just moving and overlapping each other. We saw Atalanta trying to counter this as well by playing um, quick passes. But at the end of the day, Milan looked very good. No, Milan looked much better than Atalanta. It's as, it's as simple as that. Atalanta did have a couple of chances and forced Manian into some fantastic saves. Manian has been so good. He had three super saves uh, as of the first half. 
Uh, but the differences between Atalanta and Milan, that Milan managed to convert these goals and Atalanta managed to get, you know, a bit of luck their way towards the end of it with Junior Messiah's coming on and obviously we'll get to, we'll get to that part a bit later. Um, but Milan started really well in the first minute, Calabria scoring. Yeah. What a routine, man. Amazing, amazing. Again, as we mentioned in the Roma game, beautiful direct play, the exact same thing. Um, Calabria charging down the middle, you know, um, beating the marking, and he forced a Moussoyer and tapped it in home. Yep, Kessi started this move off brilliantly. He held on to the ball in Milan's box, and then he played the ball forward. I think it was to Salamakers. Yeah. Salamakers dropped the ball to Theo, who released and has been releasing. He did release in this yeah. game, which is which is super. I love it when he opens his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and Calabria, obviously, a bit of fortune over there. Musso saving the first one, not very convincingly, and Calabria managed to get onto the rebound. Yeah, in the 42nd minute, Tonali dispossessed Freuler and scored all on his own. Tonali, Tonali, so his work ethic, so apart from his, his technical ability, his work ethic is super. You see him going back and forth and back and forth and, and attacking and, and tackling and blocking. He, he's got the wow factor in midfield for yeah. me. He does everything so well. He's improved so much. And this is, he, he deserves this. He deserves the two goals that he had this season. It's good for his confidence. Um, it was quite surprising to me that he hadn't scored a goal for Milan before that fantastic free kick that he scored a couple of weeks ago. But I think he got high praise as well by Rebic after that goal. Yeah, he told him, bravo Luca on Instagram. And I was thinking to myself, who the hell is Luca? And he was referring to, of course, Luca Modric. Ooh, high, <laughs> yeah, praise. high praise. High praise for the youngster. It's crazy to see how... Italy can afford to not call up Tonali as of yet. They kept him with the younger team. Um, you know, they have the likes of Pellegrini, they have the likes of Verratti, Giorginio, Locatelli. They have good players, but it's crazy to see the talent there is in that midfield. No, 100% and young talent as well, man. A lot yeah. of young talent going in there. You know, it'd be great to see Tonali coming off the bench where the Azzurri, but I'm afraid we're not quite there yet, man. Yeah, very soon, though. I can't see them resisting for much longer. Yeah. So the next goal was then scored in the 78th minute by Leao. A great, great finish once again from him. Um, Theo assisted once again, releasing the ball in a, in a good area where normally he'd be striking the ball from a distance. Yeah. Uh, Messias did really well to hold his position and not interfere with the ball going through to Leao yeah. with a great finish into the far post. Yeah, Messias did very well there and he even started the move off. Exactly, playing it to Theo and then to Leao, as you mentioned. Um, another great goal, Leao was becoming a fan favourite, we saw him interacting with the fans at the end as well, they were all chanting his name, he was loving it, yeah. it, was, it was gorgeous. Everyone likes a goal-scoring winger, man. These guys are the guys that win the Ballon d'Or, yeah. goal-scoring wingers. So Milan are 3-0 up, I'm watching with a smile, everything is good, life is dandy, but then in the 86th minute, Tomori and Messias come sliding in to block a shot, I believe it was a Malinowski shot, maybe, yeah, I might I, be wrong. I don't think so, but... Anyway. Maybe not, but there was a shot and they slid in to block it. Um, it hit Messias's leg and then hit his arm, which was in an unnatural position. VAR intervened, um, I've heard quite a few ex-referees talking about this and even current referees and they have said that, you know, they have split opinions about yeah. it. It's yeah. a 50-50. And I, mean, I think that the handball rule shouldn't have so much, you know... In, it shouldn't be so down to the referee's interpretation of it. No, definitely. It should be black on white what is a handball, what yeah. is not. Um, th this was a bit of a unique scenario where the ball bounced off his leg and hit him in the arm. Now, that does interfere with play. It doesn't stop the ball from hitting the back of the net or, or heading on target. Uh, but God knows where the ball would have bounced after. So I guess that's why the referee would have intervened. It could have bounced straight back to whoever shot that and they, they could have nailed it into the back of the net. Um Fuck the criticism that Messias is receiving. I think we've seen Milan players toss themselves in front of these shots. And it's good yeah. to see someone like Messias coming back trying to block that shot. Of he course. went in a bit clumsily with his hands kind of flying all over the place. I would have hated to see that hit his arm directly. Yeah. Um, but his work ethic was good for his first game. He looked a bit nervous coming on. But I'm excited to see what Messias can bring to the table. Definitely. I'm always happy to see a player that's willing, willing to defend, willing to put a shift in. And that was, in my opinion, good to see. He was unlucky that it led to a penalty, but he did, he did very well. And we've seen these types of interceptions by Tonali and Tomori. You know? yeah. It's good that we have another guy who can throw his body in there. 
in the 94th minute, um, Rebic lost the ball yep. high up the pitch. People tend to forget that part. Yeah, they do. Um, Zapata ended up in a one-on-one against Misayas, and we do know that Zapata is one of the most difficult people in the league to, to mark in a one-on-one situation, especially when it comes to out-muscling someone. Yep. And Misayas isn't built to do that again. I don't know why he kept finding himself in these positions he should be playing. Higher up, but maybe, you know, the three in the lead was the, the reason for this. But yes, he was out-muscled, potentially even fouled by Duvan Zapata, who played the ball to Pasalic, who slotted it home. Of course, the goal of the X. It's always ex-Milan players who score against Milan, always. And this is another time Pasalic, not his first goal against Milan. And he did not celebrate, which was nice to see. Yep, maybe our return will be on the cards one day, why not? Yeah. He's welcome. Yeah, it's remarkable to see, um, by the way, how, how quickly Manyan has made Milan fans forget about Gijo. Oh, man. I, I strongly believe that Manyan is the best goalkeeper in the league. And, yeah. you know, if we start comparing him to the rest of the world, he's, he's fucking up there. He's a really, really good goalkeeper, man. He's, he's got everything. Yeah, definitely. We saw Pessina getting injured in this game. Um, looked like a pretty bad injury. I believe he's going to be sidelined for two months. Another thing I want to mention is Atalanta had Gossens out mm-hmm. and Muriel has just recovered, so they, were, they weren't at their best. Um, Mele ruined quite a few moves, in my opinion. They definitely missed Gossens, and I thought that Zappa Costa and Malinowski is definitely not as frightening as Gossens' Papu Gomez used to be. <laughs> no, the, I have the, to say. I, I read this thing recently asking if Atalanta had made the right decision with choosing Gasperini over, over Papu Gomez. I think long term they made the right decision, but it is moments like this that get you thinking about what if Papu Gomez was still in the team. Of course, of course. If there's a cog that's broken in the machine, you don't replace the machine. You yep. replace the cog. Exactly. And you mentioned Pessina's injury. Pessina's injury was an opportunity for Zaniolo to be called up for the Italy team again, but Zaniolo got the exact same injury that Pessina got. So very unlucky over there. I believe it was a a muscle injury in the in the flexor, in the flexor muscle uh, for both of the players. It shouldn't be too long that they'd be out for, but obviously they they do miss the Nations Cup. Yeah, big deal. Yeah, Milan's press is devastating. Calabria said that he believes that Milan can win the league because their press is too good. And it is too good. Milan press very well. Bro, give me Milan's back four and do not give me anyone else's. I think Milan have such a great back four. They all bring something so different from Theo's pace to Calabria's dominance. And then that back to the centre-backs, Kieran Tomori. What a partnership, man. Give me anyone and they won't start ahead of these two. They have a great partnership. Of course, Kier is on the older side now. A, a replacement will be coming in for him, I think, eventually yeah, in, the, in the near future. Down the line, down the line, yes. Definitely not this season, though. I got a question. Uh, I got a question. So, <laughs> so we hope you like our new um, question song. It's YG. I got a question, of course. Um, a very sexy seductive intro right there Let's which go. is what we're trying to do with this podcast guys make it as sexy and seductive as possible so we hope that fits in well so the first question was asked was by luke mintoff who was obviously with us on the trip a great friend of ours and <laughs> mint so his question is based off zeko's latest performance do you see him having his best area a goal tally to date hmm so, with a bit of research, we found out that Zeko's best Serie A season was in 2016-2017, where he scored 29 goals in Serie A and 8 <clears throat> goals in the Europa League. I think that's going to be tough to beat. Um, so, I think the answer is no. But I do think he can, he can score 20 goals this season. Yeah, so... Because of his age, I think he'll pick up a couple of knocks here and there and he might be subject to a bit of rotation. And I do think that that's the only thing that will stop him from hitting those numbers. Obviously, he got off to a flyer. He's scoring plenty of goals. He's Inter's top scorer at the moment. Um, But yeah, I think he'll pick up a couple of knocks to keep him out so that he won't get 30 goals in a season. Probably. Um, It's crazy how we all thought he was finished, you know, at Roma. But 
it's crazy what a bit of motivation can do to yeah. a player. Yeah, 100%. And obviously he has the, the right man to motivate him in Simone and Zaghi. Definitely. We saw it with Zappa Costa as well. This revitalization when you're in a new environment is definitely impressive to watch. So the next question comes from Seb Rousey, a good friend of mine. Hello, Seb. Thank you for listening. And he asks, who has the coolest team mascot? Ah, Milan. I would, I would say Milan, the devil. Mm-hmm. I think Foggia also have the devil, so yeah. I'll give this a split between Milan and Foggia. Nothing's cooler than the devil, right? Definitely. Um, I'd have to say it was the recently liquidated Kevo who have a flying uh. donkey. But it's because of the story, you know. Um, obviously, they are rivals to Hellas Verona, mm-hmm. and Hellas Verona would get promoted to Serie A, and they were a regular in Serie A, while Kevo were always the shitty little brother from the same city, of course, of Verona. Um, they were so bad that Verona would chant during games while smashing them, you know, um, you'll make it to say uh, when donkeys fly. <laughs> and eventually they did actually make it to say, uh, um, and they nicknamed themselves the Flying Donkeys. And that was, that was pretty cool. That's an incredible approach, Mikey. <laughs> yeah, Flying yeah, Donkeys, I love that. Our next question comes from Hannah, at Hannah underscore Visa. Hannah, thank you for listening. So her question is, hey, as a fellow Milan fan, I have a question regarding Kessie. Do you think the club should sell him for whatever they can get this January, especially in light of his current performances? Is he still worth the six million the club is reportedly offering, especially with the options the team has now? What do you think? So I'm pretty sure an ultimatum has been given. Um, I think that if Kessie does not respect that, and I think it, I wouldn't be surprised if it's between the five to six million margin, which... I think um, Kessie deserves. I think that he, if he doesn't renew, Milan should sell him in January and make even 15, 20 million, whatever. At least it's something or maybe get a good swap deal going with another club, you know. Um, but ideally, you know, Milan should keep their best players. We feared when Gazidis came in that Milan would become a selling club. Mm-hmm. Um, just as he has, you know, we develop young players, but then instead of actually keeping the talents that we develop, we end up selling them. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Kessie is a top European midfielder on his day. Don't let the you know the mishaps that happened at the beginning of this season confuse you. He's still a top player. He's still a top midfielder, a very unique player, and one of the best at what he does, if not the best at what he does. Um, so I would definitely re- renew him from for five to six million, to be honest. Yeah, I would. I would definitely. I think if there's a a player out of those three, so Donnarumma, Chalanoglu, and Kessie that deserve the raise, I would definitely give it to Kessie. It's the most reasonable. Um, should he decide that he doesn't want to renew his contract, sure, I'll 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 sell him for whatever I can, 15, 20 million, as, as Jake said, and potentially get someone that isn't going to be affected by AFCON. Um, in an ideal world, Milan will, will pull out their wallets and, and renew him. The next question comes from our friend Michael in Australia, at Veluti on Twitter. That's V-E-L-L-U-T-Y. He asks, given the often poor quality of the promoted sides, do you like the idea of an 18-team league? And ah, with a relegation or promotion playoff, basically. Do you like the idea? Uh, not really, man. Not, not, not really. I think as soon as we start, you know, removing teams because of their quality, rather than fixing the system when it comes to promoting teams, I think it's a, I think it's a short-term solution. I think we should think of ways how we're going to improve the teams that are coming up from Serie B, rather than just taking them out of the equation. Yeah, I think the teams that came up this year in particular are are better than the yeah. ones we've seen. There isn't really a Benevento or a Crotone, as we discussed, someone who's just getting mauled by each team yeah. since it's lost. You know, Salernitana even managed to pick up a win against Genoa. We'll see how far how they can do as the season progresses. Yeah, it takes something special for a team to come up and stay up, like like a Spezia under Italiano last season. So I think that's encouragement for other teams to do what Spezia did. And I think it's something romantic and it's something beautiful seeing a team climb their way up and then manage to maintain their spot in Serie A. So I think we should still give teams that yeah. that leverage. And it's so difficult to get promoted from Serie A, but I would, I would keep it as it is. Yeah, 100%. 
So that's the end for match day seven, guys. We hope you enjoyed this segment. Sorry for slurring. We we switched to Sambuca today, so things got a bit things got a bit messy. It got a bit wild. Yeah, but so as Jake said, we have a we have a special coming up this weekend with our friend Luke Mintoff about our about our trip and the uh, Sassuolo Inter. Um, we also have the tactical analysis podcast coming for new listeners. Uh, that should drop at some point next week, I believe. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll have another five promises that we'll give to you guys in the next episodes as well. But we hope you enjoyed this one. and We can't wait to do this again. Thank you for listening.